right? Now, I want to continue in our series today, finishing up our series called What's So Amazing About Grace. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, the letter that God used Paul to write to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 2, looking specifically at verses 8 through 10. And as we get moving into our time in the text, uh, let me just give a little bit of background with this. Um, We are working through, if you haven't noticed, if you're new with us, we are systematically working through the book of Ephesians, but we're not doing it all at once. Most of us cannot take in all of that one Sunday at a time. It takes a daily reading and study, or it takes uh, a lot more effort than we and focus than most of us have for sermon time. So we're working through it little bit by little bit, and we're breaking it up with other series, as you can tell. Uh, This particular series, we're focusing on this topic that a lot of us have heard about, that we've talked about, that we sing about. It's amazing grace. The stuff we've talked about so much, but I think most of us just don't really understand the depth of that, including myself. I don't think that I really get it most of the time when I'm talking about it or singing about it or when I am thinking about it, even at those times. I don't think we really understand it. So we are looking at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 in this series, and today we hit verses 8 through 10, which some would say, in fact, many theologians have said, this is the most compact, direct gospel presentation in all of scripture that covers most of what we would talk about is important in the gospel, about the good news of Jesus. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 10, then we're going to back up, and we're going to kind of walk through, just kind of remembering what we've been talking about in this series, and then we're going to jump in. Before we do, let me just say this. When we get in the mix, these are the three ways we're going to be looking at things. First, we're going to look at basically how does God save people? What does it mean, and how does God save people? Two, we're going to look at why God saves people. And thirdly, we're going to be asking, this is what you should be asking all throughout, actually, what does God want me or us to do about it? What does he want us to do? You never hear a word from the Lord, from his word, in your devotional time, in the sermon time, in your Sunday school, in a Bible study. You never hear a word from the Lord, from his word, where he does not intend for you to live differently according to that word. So you need to be asking that question, what do I need to be doing differently today based off what we see? Let's go look at verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask right now that you would work in our hearts to shape our lives, to shape who we are more into a reflection of Jesus Christ, your Son, who is the perfect person. Lord, we thank you that you would love us so much that even in our sinfulness, even in our being dead in our trespasses and sins, that you would send your Son to overcome death, to overcome sin, And to die the death we deserve and then to raise in victory over death, Satan, sin and hell. So we could be brought into your family. Not as servants, not as mere spectators, but as sons and daughters of you, our King. Lord, thank you for loving us that much. Please shape us and change us today according to your will for your glory. And I ask that in Jesus, your Son's name. Amen. Let's go back and... Look at verses 1 on and catch back up to verse 8 through 10. Just to get the the, the background, remembering that the first three verses are basically a summation of our state before 
coming to know Christ, when we were dead in our trespasses. And God uses every word on purpose, we believe, and what I've said before is called verbal plenary inspiration. That means we believe God picks every single word that was written through all the individuals he used to write the scriptures, that his spirit inspired them and they wrote these words on purpose. And that means that when he uses a word like dead, look at verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, he doesn't mean you were kind of dead. He doesn't mean you fainted. He doesn't mean that you fell out and had some sickness. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He describes how you're doing that. Still alive, but dead to spiritual things, dead to God, dead to recognizing his glory and giving him what is due. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world instead of following Jesus, following the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, that's Satan, who is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And again, we didn't like that phrase, I'm sure, that we are following Satan. But if we are not following Jesus and we're following the course of this world, we are definitely following the enemy. Okay? And that's what it's saying. And we know that because if we're disobedient, we're following the ways of the enemy. That spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Following the course of the world, following the enemy, following the passions, the desires that emanate from within us. Because we are by nature children of wrath, he says. Look again, among whom we all once lived. That means there's no difference between us and anybody outside these walls. We're not smarter. we're, We're not braver. We're not wiser. We are no different. We're not better. We're not holier than them because of self. Anything we have in the spiritual sense is because God has given it to us. We'll see that more in a minute. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, it's who we are, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, best words in scripture, but God. Not me, not you, not our mentors, not our parents, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, with Jesus, and seated us with him, with Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, that in the coming ages, for the rest of eternity, that he might show, that he might manifest on us before creation, that he might reveal to everyone the immeasurable riches of his grace, that they are without end, that they are deeper than Scrooge McDuck's vault. You know what I'm saying? They go on forever and ever. There is no ending to his riches. There is no depth we can plumb. There is no ending to his valuable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. In Jesus. In other words, there's no depth we can get to the bottom of in the riches of his grace that are found in Christ. In other words, in Jesus, there's no depth 
that we can get to as far as the deepness of the value of him, the infiniteness of Jesus himself and value and glory and prestige and majesty and mercy shown to us on the cross and grace given to us to not send us to hell because it's our nature deserves that. So the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says it again, for by grace... You have been saved. And now he adds, through faith. And this is not your own doing, in case you're still wondering. If you go back and read from verse 1 of chapter 1 on, you know it's not your own doing. He says it really clearly. And this is not your own doing. You didn't get saved because of you. I didn't come to faith because of me. I can't own my salvation. I can't even claim it. Over someone else. You know what? You're just being an idiot. Just turn to the Lord. They're dead, man. Just like we were dead. They can't do it. And you couldn't either. I couldn't either until he made us alive. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Again, he says it again, not your own doing, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The implication, that no one may boast in themselves, you see, or boast in someone other than God. We'll get into that more. For we are his workmanship. That's a great word. It's used in the context of creation. We are his workmanship. There it is, created, and that word means like out of nothing, made from nothing, the Latin ex nihilo, which is fun to say. Try it. Ex nihilo. Say it with me. Ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. Nobody here has ever done that with anything. Out of nothing, he created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice a couple of things just off the cuff here. I love how when you look at a passage of Scripture and you can kind of tell sometimes where it begins and where it ends, not based off the paragraph structure that our interpreters give, because in the Greek it would have just been kind of one, run, one long run-on sentence, right? But we see here where it kind of begins and ends, because look back up at chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, right? Walking in sin. And at the end he says, for we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not in your sins, in the good works he created you for. So this is really about what you do. It's about what you do because of what's been done for you and because of who's done it for you, who is God, in saving you by grace, through faith. And then what do we do? So there is something we do, even though God's doing everything else. So let's just break this down. How God saves based off this passage. First of all, God saves, we see, verse 8, by grace. For by grace you have been saved. Robert Utley, a commentator, he says, believers are the trophies of his love, of God's love. Believers are the trophies of God's love. Grace is best defined as the unmerited, undeserved love of God. Unmerited means you didn't earn it. Undeserved means you don't deserve it. Obvious, right? The unmerited, undeserved love of God. It flows from God's nature through Christ and is is irrespective of the worth or merit of the one loved. 
You see, it doesn't depend on you, right? That's what it says here. Not because of any works you've done. Not because we deserve it. He goes on. I said it. He flows from God's nature through Christ and is irrespective of the worth or merit of the one loved. Some have heard this uh, way to remember what grace is. that They turn it into an acronym, and it falls short just like any illustration, but it is helpful to think about this. Here's some ways to think of it. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, and saying God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Because we are not righteous, we need His. At His expense, He gave it to us. Or God's redemption, or redeeming us, purchasing out of our slavery to sin. God's redemption at Christ's expense. Or some have said God's riches at Christ's expense. Or like some of us heard this weekend with the illustration from my friend Dr. Randy Millwood, he gave an illustration that he had heard from a pastor where he talked about Encouraging all the people in the audience, I encourage you to imagine for a moment that you made some mistakes in your tax preparation for the last 10 years. And all of a sudden, you're arrested for tax evasion. And you look at all the evidence, and you're like, whoa, I did do that. It wasn't on purpose, but we know the law doesn't matter if it's on purpose, right? You go to court, and in court, the judge looks at all the evidence, sees that you have evaded paying the taxes you should have paid, whether it was on purpose or not, you didn't do it, and so therefore you are declared to owe about $35,000 that you don't have. If you had it, maybe you'd have paid your taxes. And then you're going to go to prison for five years, and the judge looks at you and hits his gavel and says, guilty, take him away. You go to jail for five years and you owe the 35 grand. That's what we call justice. Do you get it? We declare we want justice all the time when something happens to us. We don't like it when it's declared upon us, though, right? The difference between that and mercy is the judge looks at you in that moment, sees all the evidence, and says, Yes, you're guilty. And then he says, But even though you should get five years, I'm going to give you one year and I'm going to reduce what you have to pay to $20,000. And we'll include in that one year some of the time you've already served. Now that's mercy. He didn't give you what you deserve. He gave you less than what you deserve. Here's the idea of grace. The judge looks at all the evidence, looks at you in the face, hits his gavel on the stand and says, guilty. And then he comes around and he walks you down to the jail cell. And when you get there, he stops you, opens the door, he writes out a check for $35,000 to your name, he takes off his robe, and he steps into the jail cell and closes the door and sets you free. That's grace. That's grace for us in Christ. God saves you by grace. The unmerited, undeserved love of God. Here's a few pieces that we've looked at from Ephesians 1 down to here. I'm just going to recap them quickly. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Not based off of what you would or would not do. Read Romans 9. He chose you before the foundation of the world in Christ. He predestined you to adoption as sons and daughters in Christ. He sent someone to preach the good news to you. Somebody to deliver a Bible to you. Someone to put the words of the gospel of Jesus into your heart. 
He then gave you faith to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that gift we're talking about. He then redeemed you through the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross. That's Ephesians 1, 7. We're looking all over chapter 1, right? He forgave you because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross in your place. Not because you made up for it, but because of Jesus, he forgave you. He has gifted you then an inheritance in Jesus, riches that are unfathomable, unsearchable, infinite, never get to the depths of them in Christ. And he has guaranteed that inheritance by sealing you, putting his seal upon you, by giving you the Holy Spirit who secures that and holds you so that it's not how much you hold on to him, it's about how well he holds on to you. And he's all powerful. And so you are his, if you are his. And he makes you alive together with Christ. Not separated until he comes back. Connected through his spirit together with Christ you're made alive. And he raises you up with Christ. Resurrection is what he's talking about. You were dead and now you're alive. And he seats you with him in the heavenly places. In authority. In authority. In Christ Jesus. So let us boast in the Lord, brothers and sisters. This is amazing grace. It is way beyond anything we could ask for or fathom because we do not even understand the depths of our own sinfulness. So we could never ask for enough of it, and yet he provides more than enough. His grace is sufficient for us. Give glory where glory is due to the Father for what he has done. It belongs to him. God saves us by grace. God also saves us by grace through faith as a gift. Look at that, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. R. Kent Hughes, he says, Grace is unmerited favor. The love of God going out toward the utterly undeserving. It has reference here in this passage, in this verse, to forgiveness of sin and the riches that Christ brings. It is a lavish, sumptuous, joyous word. But the great and transcending emphasis of our text is that grace is a free gift. The idea of this is not your own doing is that by God's grace you are people who have been saved through faith, and this whole event and experience is God's free gift to you. He says, just love me back because I first love you. I purchase you out. I make you alive. I bring you to life. I raise you up with him. I seat you in the heavenly places with him. I give you life because my son bought it on the cross. You can't buy it. I don't want you to buy it. I bought it for you because I love you. Romans three nineteen through 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That's what the law is there for. To show you that all of us are guilty. That none of us have a way out. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what it's there for, to point out. God's law is a reflection of his holiness, which reveals our unholiness. That's what it does. That's his purpose. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. You see? A change. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all who believe. See, it's changed. It was there to show you your sin, and now Jesus came to take away your sin through faith in Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Made in his image, made for his glory to reflect his goodness, we fall short of his glory. And are justified, that means declared right, Hey, remember the judge stepping into that place and setting you free, declared right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, being purchased by Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, a sacrifice that was worthy by his blood spilled out on the cross to be received, listen, by faith, by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. He's always being right and good. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. In other words, he didn't destroy everybody the moment they sinned against him, which was his just right law he could have done. Just laid it all out. Instead, he waited. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, that he might still dole out his punishment and remain just, while still being the justifier of those who are sinners, because he poured out his wrath on Jesus, who didn't deserve it, who is all perfect, all right, all good, who took our place, so that we could then be declared righteous. The great exchange. Jesus declares us righteous in his righteousness after he takes our sin upon himself to die the death we deserve on the cross. He then asks in verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? There's that word again, right? Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, he says. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You don't have to do a certain number of things for God to save you. You don't have to do a certain number of things for God to love you. When you mess up, God doesn't love you any less. When you mess up, God doesn't cast you out when you're his. You are not saved by the works of the law. You're saved by faith in Christ. That's a gift. By grace, you have been saved through faith as a gift. Look, faith is a mix of knowledge of God, knowledge about him, knowledge of what he's done, and trusting in Jesus by the Holy Spirit, by his power. It's a gift. It's gifted to you. It's the conduit through which you believe that's been given to you. It's not your own doing, verse 8 and 9 says. It's not a result of your works. It's faith, Romans eleven six. 6. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It's not a result of works. It's grace. Unmerited favor. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You get that? No matter how hard you work, you're not going to be saved by obeying the law. And then we think about, what about those people in the Old Testament? I'm so glad you asked that question. Paul, by the leading of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 4, addresses that issue for us and brings something to the light you may not have noticed back in, in Genesis chapter 6, in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 15 and 17, dealing with Abraham, dealing with the flood, all these things. Go back and look at this. Romans five, 4, 1 through 5. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? This is what it says back there. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Through faith. Even back then. Through faith. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Here's here's how this works for you in a daily way. You, I, we are generally trying to do things so God will be happy with us. We, we, it's just part of our inherently sinful nature. We want to be like, dude, I read my Bible. <sighs> Good Christian today. Man, I prayed for like five whole minutes. Some of you are like, an hour. Some of you are like, dude, 30 seconds was long, you know? You're moving ahead and you're praying. You're like, yes, Lord, look. Look what I'm doing for you. Now, he is pleased with you because he's a father that loves his children when they move more towards him. But you do not earn favor with him. And often we can kind of ratchet ourselves up to a checklist. And the more boxes we check, we think the happier God is with us. And therefore, we're not living in faith and saying, no, it's not me. It's you. You get the glory, not me. Not that I read my Bible, checked that off. Not that I prayed, checked. Not that I talked to my, my, my coworker about that. No, it's not about doing all that so that you feel good and right with God. You're good and right with God because of Jesus, if you are. He is enough. He is all. Those things we do because we want to love him because he first loved us. The glory belongs to the Lord. Let's make much of him, church, in every moment. Not only does God save you by grace through faith as a gift, right? He also saves you by recreating you. This is crazy land, right? Recreating you. You always grew up with something you wanted to change about yourself, something that you thought people didn't like about you or that you thought was subpar about you. Well, God has recreated you if you're in Christ. He's made you new. We are his workmanship. Look, God saves you by recreating you. We are recreated in this sense. We are recreated in Christ, again, ex nihilo, out of nothing. You were dead, and he brought you to life. And we're looking to find, like, vampire stuff is cool in the world around us. We're looking to find zombie stuff is cool. We're looking to find, like, what is it that I can tap into supernaturally with the Ouija boards that are coming back out and getting popular. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's happening. The power is in the one who gave everything for you and brought himself out of death. The one who who did that and now gives you life out of death and now lives within you, empowering you not to fall back into those ways of death again. That's power that's real. You don't have to search for power. It's found in Christ. That's the power. God saves you and recreates you out of nothing and gives you that person who is power. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the stuff you did that you hate about yourself, gone. Gone. Wiped away in the blood of Christ. All the things you've done, even since being a Christian, if you're his, gone. Wiped away the blood of Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross. All the things you're going to do that you're going to hate about yourself tomorrow or today, gone. Wiped away. And if you hold on to those things, you're not believing in faith that Christ's grace is sufficient. And we know that it is unfathomable, unsearchable, immeasurable riches of grace, right? Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created. 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's why it says here, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Because by him, for him, through him are all things created in him, including us in our recreated states. You don't have to keep doing that sin. You're new. You're dead to those things. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Quit going back to death. Go to life in Christ. Run to the King. Thank the Lord and give him glory. And go to the one who brings life and joy. Not that brings suffering and regret. Man, that's how he saves, right? What about why he saves? Do you ever wonder why he saves us? Does it hit your brain ever in the day? It doesn't mind very often until I read scripture and it, and it kicks me in the face. Why does God save us? I'm going to give you just a few of these things. Number one, God saves you because he loves you with his great love. We already covered that. I'm just reiterating. Go back and look at verse 4 and 5 in chapter 2 here of Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. There's a reason. Because of the great love, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Because of the great love with which he loved us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's love. I love every one of you. I'm not giving my son for you. Not happening. I still love you. I can't love you like that. Only God loves like that. Ephesians, man, brings up so much. Listen, is it, not only do we see that God does it because of his great love for you, but God does it, this is way bigger and beyond. We talked about it last week. He does it. He saves you so that you will boast in him. So that you will boast in him. Listen. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Again, he repeats it. Parallelism. He says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. The implication is boast in self. Or boast in another person other than God. How do we know that? Because you go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and you read things like chapter 4 and on. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Listen, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. That's all. To the praise for the praise of Jesus. Going to verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, listen, might be to the praise of his glory. For his glory that he's made much of. Galatians 6.14, one of my all-time favorites. If I was going to get scripture tattooed on my body, this one would be there where I would see it every day somewhere. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. I'm getting ad nauseum here because we need to hear this, brothers and sisters. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. You hear that? Talking to us. Not many of you were wise. 
according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, here's the reason, in other words, for this purpose, this is the reason he's telling us, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because they don't deserve the glory. He does. He goes on. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it doesn't say don't boast at all. The implication is don't boast in anything but God. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You were made for his glory. You were made to his praise. You were redeemed, elected, chosen, predestined, saved, given faith, given love, given grace, so that he would receive praise. So by all means, church, let us lift up the name of the Lord and boast in him. This is what we are saved to do, to make much of him, to boast in him, to point people towards him. I will not even read Philippians 3, 3 through 11, where Paul sits there and says, if anybody's got a right to boast, look at me. And he lists all the things out that anybody would be jealous of in his day. And then he says, I count it all as dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is boasting in having Jesus. So let us boast in the Lord and give God glory where glory is due. Listen, he also saves you so that you will do good works. We see that very clearly here. Look, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. He's worked us, created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them. He doesn't save you so that you can ride the pine. He saves you to put you in the game. You get it? And you may think, but like, I can't even throw to first base. It doesn't matter because it's not about you. It's about him. And he uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So get in the game, right? He's going to show his glory by using things that should not to take down the things that do. The things that are not even important enough to be called things that are not to take down the things that are seen as great. That's probably most of us in this room. I know it's been me. He will use you for his glory. Get in the game. He has saved you because he loves you, right? And because he loves the other people out there that have not yet come to know him. It's not just for you or me. The individuality of our nation and of our Western culture has almost ruined us as a church. Not just here, but generally speaking as churches. He did not just save you as an individual for your individual self. It's in addition to you, he loves others as well. He saved you to make disciples, to love others as you love yourself, and as Christ has loved you. Does that sound familiar in Scripture? Have you heard those things? Look, Robert Utley again. American individualism, he says, has distorted the gospel. Amen. Humans are not saved because God loves them so much individually, but because God loves fallen mankind. Mankind made in his image. He saves and changes individuals to reach more individuals. The ultimate focus of love is primarily corporate, but is received individually. Hear me right. You're pushing against that already in your heart if you're me, because I do. No, no, God died for me. For me. Yes. And everybody else with you. That's why he uses language like John 3, 16. We read a minute ago. Let me read it, thinking of that. For God so loved the world. 
It doesn't say you singular. We have a great disservice in our English language. When you read the scriptures and you see the word you, you can't tell if it's you singular or you plural. If you've got a little bit of extra money, go and buy Logos. It's a great software and read your scriptures through that and you can make it where it shows you when it's talking plural or singular. It'll blow your, brine, blow your mind. But here you don't have to do that. For God so loved the world, plural. Or John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, to everyone who did receive, to all the ones who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To all of them. Look, this has been his plan since before the foundation of the world, to save you for good works, for his glory. He created you to walk in good works. He created you so that you won't walk in sin anymore, but be holy, right? Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Or 1 Peter, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, don't go back to the dead stuff, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, following the desires of your flesh and of the mind. Don't do that. He says, but as you, he called you to be holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's all over the scriptures. You walk in good works also, by the way. Look, I'm telling you, do all this stuff, and you can be like, yeah, let's go do it. And you run out here headstrong and try to do it, and then you're going to fail sooner or later. And the reason we fail when we fail is most likely because we're doing it in our own power and not doing it through faith. Not doing it through faith. I have a warning on that in a minute. But let me just say it like this. You walk in good works by faith, not by flesh. Remember, you were dead in your flesh. You're alive through faith. Galatians 3. This is a warning, 1 through 6. Oh, foolish Galatians. Let's let it not be that he could say, Oh, foolish 12th Streetians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? By hearing with faith, right? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Man, the, the, the strings tie together everywhere. This is how God gets glory in you walking in the good works in which he created for you beforehand. Because you're only able to do the good works through faith in Jesus. Look, when you have a choice to do something hard or do something easy for the Lord, choose the hard thing because it makes you lean into Jesus more, which makes your relationship with him get better, which is the whole point. He didn't die just to like bring you into his family to not be with you. He wants you with him. That's why he brought the spirit to live in you. So you could be with him. Lean into the hard things for his glory. Because you can't. But he can in and through you by his spirit. That's how he gets glory. Listen, here's a warning from Spurgeon. We'll end on this. Never, listen, watch out though with faith. We talk about faith so wrongly. Listen to this warning from this prince of preachers. Listen, never make a Christ out of your faith. Faith is the conduit, remember? It's not the Christ. Never make a Christ out of your faith, nor think of it as if it were the independent source of your salvation. 
our life is found in looking unto Jesus, not in looking to our own faith. By faith, all things become possible to us, yet the power is not in our faith, but in God upon whom faith relies. You see? Be careful that you don't say, I have faith to move mountains. I'm going to move that mountain. But you have faith in God that he can move that mountain. It's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the one in whom you have faith. We understand? You don't step into a place and declare over people, God, do this. Who are we, foolish Galatians, to do that? We step in and declare, God, if it be your will, we ask you to please do this. We believe you can, if you will, if it is your will. Nevertheless, we submit to you, our King. And in that faith, that's faith that shows salvation. That's faith that points us to his grace. That's faith demonstrated in that way. So be holy and brothers and sisters, be holy. Honor the Lord by striving for holiness through faith in our Father, through Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. For he alone deserves the glory. Give glory where glory is due. Live your life in such a way that you can only point and say, I can't, but man, if it was done, it was because he did it. Live in such a way that he receives the glory. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is amazing grace. This is what we sing about. This is what drives us when we're in the depths of depression, to stay with the Lord. This is what carries us through when we don't even recognize we're being carried. This is what helps you when you are failing and you have no hope because Jesus has promised and it will be done. This is is the way, this is amazing grace. This is the grace that everybody needs. Let us go forth in faith and give them the one who brings them that hope. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing And we'll go about our ways. Don't just walk out of here without saying, what am I going to do today according to this word? Father, work in us. Show us truth. Give us what we need in that faith because that faith is a gift from you. We do not have enough. And like that man who cried out to you, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. We need you to do that today. Every day, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.